Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, as Steve said, I'm Simon. I'm a new student minister here at Summer Hill. Um, and I'd love to meet you if I haven't met you yet. Faces are looking familiar, but I haven't met everyone yet. So please come and say hello to me afterwards. Um, I'd love to get to know you and try and learn your name um, and have a chat. But before we turn to God's word, uh, let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and thank you for the truths in it. I pray that you would uh, speak to us through it this morning, that we would hear your truths, that we would know them and know them so deeply that it transforms the way that we live our lives. Amen. Well, open up your Bibles if you don't have them open to the passage already, and we'll work through it together. Uh, last week, we started off in the same place where we're beginning today, considering the church of God, of the living God, his own household, the pillar and foundation of the truth. It's a pretty incredible concept, isn't it? That is what the church is, the family of God gathering around our living Lord. And it's a gathering that holds up the truth, that it might shine clearly to the world. And Paul is deeply concerned for the truths of God. He wants the church to be taught it, to know them deeply, so that the church might also live by these truths and live up to them as they share the truth with the rest of the world. And it's why Paul cared so much about the life and character of his leaders, as we heard about last week. And it's why this week he's so concerned for the truth to be known and taught, so that no one will be distracted or led astray. He wants the truth to be clear for everyone, not obscured. He cares so much about the truth being known and lived, not only because it matters deeply, but also because the world is full of distractions, of people and forces trying to obscure these great truths, living lives that point away from the truths, teaching that distorts and distracts from it rather than makes it clear. Now, the context might look a little bit different to us, but in many ways, nothing really has changed. The truth of the Bible still matters, and there are many ways that it's distorted and obscured, and so it's just as important for us to know it and love it and live it as it was for Timothy back then. So if the church and her leaders are to know the truth, Paul takes a moment here to remind them of it. Have a look there in chapter 3, verse 16. He's just described the godly life of these church leaders, and here he connects their godliness to the truth that they are to teach. Godliness comes from knowing the truths of the gospel. True godliness springs forth from knowing these truths, which he describes here with a kind of a, a creed-like statement. It was beautiful hearing it read before. He appeared in the flesh, was vindicated in the spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, and was taken up into glory. This living God whose household the church is came down and appeared in the flesh. Jesus came down to earth and was fully human. He was vindicated by the Spirit in his resurrection, the knockdown proof that he was perfect, that he was not deserving of death and therefore the perfect sacrifice for sins. He was seen by all of God's creation. His angels saw the revealing of God's plans and witnessed this vindication. His followers preached the good news of this gospel. And as it was preached in the world, people believed him 
People came to trust in this truth. And God, who came down to earth, his work completed, returned to glory, where he remains to this day, ruling over his church, ruling as Lord over all the earth. This is the truth of the gospel that changes everything. The truth that is to be preached by his church, to be lived by his church. The truth to be held up for the whole world to see. And so we have to reflect, do we know and love this truth, this glorious gospel truth? It's always a joy to come to a new church and to find a community that does that. It's a great joy for me, moving from one church to another, to find a very different community that is still centered around these great gospel truths. It can be easy to take for granted in Sydney, but it's something that we should thank God for. Because what we're about to see in our passage is it's not always the case. We should never tire of looking for opportunities to remind and encourage each other of these truths. In church on Sundays, hearing God's word read and taught as we say creeds together. In Bible studies, we gather around the truth of God's word. In our everyday lives, as we make time to hear those truths, as we read God's word for ourselves. The ministers of the church need to know and teach the truth because we all need to know it. And because we can be easily deceived and distracted from it. So we come to what is obscuring the truth. Right from the start, people have been trying to mess with these beautiful truths. People have been losing sight of them and chasing after other things instead. And God warns us that this would be the case. Paul is passing on to his readers his own warning he's received from the Spirit himself. That in the age of these great gospel truths, Other powers will work to obscure and distract us from these truths. And Paul says there in verse 1 of chapter 4 that this is not just people being ignorant of these things, but it's the work of demons whose desire is to distract and lead people away from God's truth, which is what has been happening right since the start in Genesis. And if we don't hold on to these truths we we believe, we can be distracted and led away too. And so how are people being led astray here in our passage? It's there in verse 3. People forbid marriage. People are being told to abstain from certain foods. It's not clear to us whether Paul is referring to a particular group of false teachers or maybe a tendency of false teachers to teach these kinds of things. But in Paul's day, there was a popular belief that the body, the physical body, was bad and it needed to be transcended. And that abstaining from certain things helped with the process to kind of move beyond our physical bodies. And sometimes you also see this false piety in sticking to the old Jewish food laws in forbidding different things to eat. But I think here he's really speaking about those who said that the body was bad and needed to be transcended and the spirit was trapped within these bad bodies. And it would lead to all kinds of messiness and falsehood and confusion. And this kind of wrong thinking is not one that is limited to just when Paul is writing this letter. You see it all throughout the history of the church, even right up till today. Teaching that we must give up certain things for the sake of our spiritual life, that we should neglect our bodies and focus on the spirit alone, 
that our bodies are bad with a spirit trapped inside, longing to be freed from this physical existence. But Paul has none of that teaching. This is a way of thinking that comes from demons, he says. What God has created is good. It says so right in the start of the Bible in Genesis, God said it was good. And yes, sin has an impact on God's creation, but it doesn't erase its goodness completely. And if the goodness of God's creation is used as a means of experiencing God's goodness and then thanking him for it, then that is a good thing, not something that we should deprive ourselves of. We are to enjoy and praise God for his good gifts. And the gospel truth that Paul has just explained even points towards that. Jesus came in the flesh for our redemption. He went back up into glory in that same flesh. He didn't transcend from the physical form. He came to bring redemption for the good creation that God has made. Knowing the truths of the gospel help you to combat these false ways of thinking that distract from God's good truths. We are to receive God's good gifts with thanksgiving because by doing so, they are set apart. That's what it means by consecrating in verse 4 for the service and praise of God, our creator. And so we say grace before meals to thank God for his goodness. We can praise God for our marriages if we're married. We can thank God for our friends and family if we're not. We can thank him for the beauty of trees. We can thank him for the joy of a beautifully perfect ripe peach, or if you don't like peaches, whatever you enjoy. These are good things made by God for us to enjoy and to thank God for them and his goodness. And cultivating this thankfulness towards God helps us to always set these things under God's rule and goodness and not putting them over the top of it. Now, there's some important things to clarify here. Paul is not giving people a loophole for sin. He's not saying that if you just thank God for anything, that makes it good. Notice how in verse 3 and 4, he uses this phrase, things that God has created, to talk about it. Good things that God has made, not things that come from sin. We can't make something like pornography good by just thanking God for it because it comes from sin. It comes from a corruption of God's creation and not from God's good creation itself. Paul is also not saying that we should never go without good things for the sake of the gospel. Sometimes in life we will give up something good for the sake of focusing on prayer or the truth of the gospel. Uh, The season of Lent is often that for people giving up something so they can focus on the gospel. Sometimes loving and caring for others means giving up something of our own for their sake. What Paul here is warning against is a false kind of piety that obscures the truths of the gospel, not doing things that point towards the goodness of the truth of the gospel. Paul is warning against this false separation of body and spirit, but instead living a life that is based all around the truth of the gospel, resting in this finished, vindicated work of Jesus, praising God for his good gifts, not getting distracted or putting things in the way of this great gospel truth, 
but celebrating it for all that it means for his people. Which brings us then to the truth lived and taught. Timothy is not to be distracted from the truth, nor to let those under his care forget his truth either. He is instead to point out the truth, to warn of the errors that can distract from these truths. And that's what being a good minister is all about. This next section is such a challenge and encouragement for me personally as I think about training for ministry and heading into it. It can be so easy to get distracted about by all the new and exciting things, ideas in ministry you can have of wanting to be the best that you can be, uh, really often for vanity's sake. Those things that the false teachers have just uh, set, we've just heard about can look impressive in some ways to the world. But that's not what ministry is about and not what living for Christ is about. In reflecting on this passage, I came across this beautiful quote from the famous reformer John Calvin. Uh, and even though he wrote this quite a long time ago, it feels so fresh and relevant still. People frequently aim at something else to approve themselves to Christ. And consequently, many are desirous of being applauded for genius, eloquence, and profound knowledge. And that is the very reason we pay less attention to necessary things, which do not tend to procure the admiration of the common people. Those necessary things are the gospel truths that we should know and love and live and teach. A good minister of Christ Jesus points people to the truth and lives by it. Paul encourages Timothy not to get distracted by anything, not to get led astray by false teachers, and as he says there in 4 verse 7, not to get trapped into concerns about myths and falsehoods, which can be entertaining and interesting, but to instead train himself to be godly. Now, as someone who's not in really any way sporty, uh, who doesn't particularly love exercise, I do love to quote verse 8 at people when they're talking about their love of sport and exercise. You're into exercise? Well, I guess that's of some value, but I'd rather train for godliness, which is good for life, this life and the life to come. But you see here again, Paul is not pitting our physical reality against another one. He says that there is some value for physical training. There is some goodness in that. Maybe I need to remember that part. And anyone who does any kind of regular exercise knows, or tries to do any kind of regular exercise knows, it takes dedication and effort and perseverance and willpower to train yourself in that way. And Paul uses this exact same language to talk about training for godliness. Paul doesn't tell Timothy, as a teacher of God's word, to train to be impressive in public speaking or to train his intellect to answer every complicated argument that he might encounter. Rather, he says that he should train for godliness, that he should put effort into growing in his godliness. As Colin Buchanan sings, he should practice being godly. 
The one who has made his salvation available for everyone has opened the way into his household freely. Oh, hang on. And it's there in verse 10, sorry, uh, that this labor and striving is because of the truths of the gospel, that we strive for godliness because we know the truth, because we have hope in the living God, the one who has made his salvation freely available for everyone, who has opened the way into his household. And the end of that verse can be a little bit confusing, but I think what Paul is meaning here is not that everyone is saved, but that God is the only way to salvation for all people. But he is specifically and practically the savior of all those who put their trust in God. And again and again, now in verse 11 as well, Paul reminds Timothy that he needs to teach these things. To teach these truths in both what he says but also in how he lives because they go hand in hand for believers and not just for the teachers Timothy's life is to teach the truth as much as his words do he's to set an example in believe for the believers in speech in conduct in love and in purity Never has there been words more exciting and terrifying to read for someone heading into ministry. But I am so thankful for those who have set me an example in their life, that they have shown me the gospel not just in how they've taught me these truths, but how they've lived life faithfully in reflection of these truths. I'm thankful for people who, both through how they speak and how they act, Point me back to the truths of the gospel. Uh, Maybe you're wondering, this is all great if you're planning on going into ministry, but what does this passage have to do with me if I'm not? Well, first of all, uh, don't count yourself out too quickly. I spent most of my life never even considering that I would go into ministry. I hadn't really given it a second's thought, and somehow here I am training to go into ministry. But I think still, even if you never head into ministry in any way, this passage has plenty to say to you. The life focused on living and speaking the truth of the gospel isn't just for those who have some kind of formal teaching role in the church. It is for all of us. Because the truths of the gospel shape every part of all of our lives. Everything we know and everything we do. It's there in verse 12. Timothy is to live this way as an example, as one who people can look to to see what the life of faithfully following the gospel truths looks like. So while Paul may be writing specifically to Timothy, he's writing these things to the whole church, that the whole church might know and live and grow in knowing the truth. The gospel is for all people. And we have a responsibility to remind each other of these truths of the gospel and to help encourage each other, both by how we live and what we say, to not get distracted from the gospel, to not fall for deceitful false teachings, but to know these truths and to love and live by them. But I think this also has a word for us in how we, what we hoped for to find in those who labor and care for the church, 
What do you think a good minister of Jesus Christ looks like? Are they impressive? Are they great speakers? Are they amazingly smart? Now, I'm not saying ministers can never be any of those things, but that's not the focus of what ministry is about. The question is, do they teach the truth faithfully? Do they live lives that point towards these truths? Or do they live lives that distract from it? Is that what you think a good minister looks like? Is that what you look for in your ministers? And there in verse 14, Timothy has been given the gift of this task. As the elders of the church laid hands on him and set him apart for this role. Now there may have been some extra special gift in teaching or the like that Timothy might have received. But it is clear from this context that this is all about the role in caring for churches. In teaching the truth encouraging them to live in line with those truths. Timothy is not to neglect the gift of being someone who lives and teaches the truth to others. And so as we think about ministry working through this passage, how might you encourage Steve and Lauren and any other ministers you might have in your life in this? Do you pray for their godliness? Do you pray that they might hold fast to the truths of the gospel and teach it clearly and faithfully? Do you encourage them in those things? Do you thank God for the ways that they are an example of godliness to God's household? Do you thank them for pointing you to the truth, even when those truths might be hard for you to hear? Because a good, faithful minister knows the truth and lives and teaches the truth. Verse 16 is an excellent summary of this whole passage. Watch your life and your doctrine closely. Know the truth and live by that truth that you know. Don't get distracted by false things. Live in a way that matches up to what you are teaching. Teach the truth so that others can know and live it too. Because the truth of God's gospel is God's power to save people. And amazingly, he uses people to share that truth and to bring that salvation to others. He uses ordinary people like Timothy to know and love and live by the truth so that others might know and love God's gospel too and be saved as well. Let me pray. Father, thank you that you are the God of all truth, that every good and true thing comes from you. I pray that we might, you, you might help us to knowly, truly know the truth and to love you and your gospel, to love it, to talk about it, and to live it in every part of our lives and who we are. May you protect us from getting distracted from your truth, from putting things in the way of it or listening to others who might lead us astray. Help us all to watch our lives and our doctrines closely so that everything we do might point to you. Amen.